Welcome to the Radical Remission Project Stories That Heal podcast. My name is Kelly A. Turner, and I'm a PhD cancer researcher, New York Times bestselling author of Radical Remission and Radical Hope, and the founder of the Radical Remission Project. In this podcast, it is our honor to bring you inspiring healing stories directly from radical remission survivors themselves, as well as from the amazing doctors and healers they work with. Hello, and welcome to the Stories That Heal podcast. This is Liz, and today, Carla and I are excited to welcome our radical remission survivor, Anita Morjani. On the morning of February 2nd, 2006, after four heart-wrenching years with cancer, Anita's body had finally had enough, and she went into a coma. Her family was told by her doctors that she wouldn't make it through the night. About 30 hours after she entered the coma, her eyes started to flicker open. Once she regained consciousness inexplicably to her doctors, her cancer began to heal rapidly. To their amazement, she was free of countless tumors and cancer indicators within weeks. Since then, Anita has heeded the call to share this powerful story and divine lesson to the world. Love yourself fully. That is your purpose. That's what you're here to do. If you haven't heard of Anita Morjani before today, prepare to be inspired. Welcome, Anita. We are so thrilled to have you and so excited to share your story with our audience. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here um, and, uh, and for sharing my story with your audience. Oh, absolutely. It is it is our pleasure for sure. Um, I'm going to dive right in because I really yeah. there's so much information that, you know, and things for, to hear from you. So why don't you first start out by um, sharing with us your cancer diagnosis and any kind of treatment that you may have used before um, your near death experience? So um, the um, I was diagnosed in 2002 with lymphoma. At that time, it was diagnosed as stage two. Um, but throughout the, uh, but over the next, the course of the next four years, it started to progress and it would, uh, it would go into remission and then it would come back and it would go into remission and it would come back. And I was trying a lot of different modalities, like including a lot of complementary modalities like I did um, I did some uh, um, something that was considered very powerful at that time it was ginseng but it was given to me intravenously it was like wow. uh, fed to me through IV I did Ayurveda I did traditional Chinese medicine and all of them everything would help me to a point and then um, and then I would deteriorate again and it would it would come back. And so I was really, really uh, tired and stumped. And I had been fighting and fighting over the years just to stay alive, just to get my health back. And by the time we got to 2006, by that point, I had been so tired. Oh, and I was on a um, I had been told that I needed to be on a very strict plant-based diet. And I was living in this state of fear where I feared the food that I was eating. And so I was on a very restricted diet, 
where I was really eating just um, organic plant-based foods of just berries and um, vegetables. And I was extremely malnourished at this point as well. So because my body was malnourished, I was, um, my muscles had completely atrophied. So I could no longer walk. My body stopped absorbing nutrition because the, the lymphoma, the cancer had spread throughout my lymphatic system by now. Uh, and so I had tumors the size of golf balls from the base of my neck, uh, from the base of my uh, skull, all around my neck, under my arms, in my chest, and all the way down to my abdomen. By this point, my lungs were filled with fluid. I couldn't lie flat because if I did, I would choke on my own fluid. Um, and as I said, my muscles had atrophied, so I could no longer walk. I had to use a wheelchair. Um, and I was always so tired and I couldn't breathe properly. So I needed, I had a portable oxygen tank, which, um, you know, was connected through the tubes. And I was, I weighed about 85 pounds. I had these open skin lesions where toxins were weeping through my skin. Um, and so by February the 2nd, 2006, I was so tired of living and fighting to stay alive that I just let go and I went into a coma. And that was when the doctors told my family that I wouldn't even make it through the night. And um, But while I was in the coma, I felt incredible. I, I was free from my body and yet I felt alive. And I felt better than I ever remember feeling in physical life before. I felt um, healthy and free and alive. And I felt just um, powerful. And I realized that I was going through the, the, the dying process. But I was like, wow, this is incredible. I don't ever want to go back into my body again. And um, I also remember feeling something that I just call unconditional love. It was like I was bathed or enveloped by this sea of just unconditional love. And I had never felt this way in physical life before, ever. Um, and then as I started to go deeper, I started to encounter other beings like my deceased loved ones and other beings who I didn't recognize. But also I was aware of everything that was happening around my physical body. I was aware of what the doctors were doing to my body. I was aware of what they were saying to my family. I was aware that my family was distraught and, um, I was aware that my brother was getting on a plane to fly to see me from a different country. And I even remember feeling that, oh, I better try and stay alive until he gets to me because he would be really upset if I died before he got here. So I remember all of these things going on. And um, But my eyes were closed and I was in a coma. And yet I was aware of all of this happening in the physical in the physical world, in the room that I was in and beyond. But as I began to go deeper, um, 
I encountered my dad who had died 10 years prior. And, uh, and my, I felt that all my loved ones were there to help me. They were help, there to help me through this process of crossing over. And a lot happened in that time, but um, I, will, I will kind of do a brief version of the story where I reached a point where I felt I had the choice of where, whether, I could, um, whether I could come back or go on. And it was as if it was a point that said, okay, if you go any further than this, you won't be able to go back into your body. And I was ready to go onward because, um, because no part of me wanted to come back into this physical body. I felt so much love in the other realm. And, um, and over here, you know, I had been suffering. My body was sick. That was, and my family was suffering, taking care of me. There was no reason for me to come back. But it was like I was in a state of clarity. So as soon as I made the decision not to come back, I started to understand why it was that I got sick in the first place. I started mm -hmm. to understand how it was that every thought and every decision that I had made during my life had led to this point of me lying here in this hospital bed dying. So I understood what I had done to contribute to this situation. I started to understand that we are actually a lot more powerful than we've been led to believe. Mm -hmm. My soul was much more powerful than I had been led to believe my whole life. And I started to understand that now that I was knowing these truths, knowing the truth of what had led to my illness and knowing the truth of how powerful we actually are, that if I chose to go back into my body, that my body would heal. I also started to understand, and it was my dad who was helping me to understand this, that um, my husband and my purpose was linked. And if I didn't come back, he wouldn't be able to complete his purpose either. And I understood that I, I had not completed my purpose and there were gifts waiting for me on this side. I wasn't being forced to come back, but I was being encouraged to come back because it wasn't my time. And it felt like if I don't come back, I would be wasting all the lessons that I had been going through. And now it was time to reap what I had sown and I would be missing that part. So I made the decision to come back and that's when my eyes started to open and I, that's when I started to come out of the coma. And, it, and I, it turned out I had been in the coma for about 30 hours. And uh, as I started to come out of the coma, I was still very delirious. And, and I started to say things to my family like, dad is here, dad is here. And they didn't know what I was talking about, but they were ecstatic that my eyes were opening and I was coming out of it. And then I started to say things that I couldn't possibly have known, like things that were happening around the room that had been happening while I was in the coma. For example, they immediately called the doctor and I started to say things to the doctor. I knew who the doctor was, even though he had never treated me before I went into the coma. 
And um, so I called him by his name and he said, how do you know my name? And I said, aren't you the doctor that came in and um, removed the fluid from my lungs earlier today? And he said, but you were in a coma. You couldn't possibly have seen me. And then after he and he told my that he then told my family that don't raise your hopes because she's still in critical condition. And then he left the room. And then I said to my family, why was he surprised I knew his name? Isn't he the doctor that said to you, I won't even make it through the night? And that's when my husband said, he didn't even say that in this room. You couldn't possibly have heard him. He said that down the hallway in at the nurse's station. And that's when they realized something had happened. And over the next four days, um, you know, instead of going back in and out of the coma, over the next four days, I started to gradually become more alert and I wanted to sit up and I wanted to take all the tubes out. And then the doctors just didn't know what to make of me because in five or six days, the, the tumors had shrunk by about 60%. Wow. And yeah, between three to five weeks later, they could find no trace of any of the tumors and they didn't know what to make of me or what to write in my records. That's an incredible experience. And it it seems like this near-death experience gave you like this immediate download of here's the root cause and here's the lessons you need to learn. And I'm just fascinated, but want to know how did you process all of that? Like, how did you possibly take that in and 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 figure out what to do with that information and go forward with that. Obviously you had to heal more and build up your strength again, but what was that like to process that experience? That's a great question because um when I came back, you know, I wanted to shout from the rooftops what had happened because in my naivety I thought, oh my God, I have discovered the cure for cancer. I have discovered the cause for cancer. Everybody will want to know this. And I was ready to shout it from the rooftops. So in the beginning, I was extremely euphoric. I was euphoric. I was overjoyed. I thought this is a big issue on the planet. Um, and people are going to want to know. They're going to want to really understand what it was that happened to me that caused this whole thing to reverse so rapidly. So I, so my first few months back were totally euphoric. Um, I felt so much love for everything and everyone. And I was so uh, happy that I was given this second chance, even though it was uh, originally reluctantly to come back, but, but it was like, I've been given this chance to come back, but with this additional information and this clarity. And it was almost like I'm being given a chance to create heaven on earth. But over the months, I started to realize it's not as easy as I thought. Um, we are an interesting species, we humans. And instead of the information I had being welcomed, it was pushed back. You know, people were, because I wanted to share it, verbalize it, vocalize it. I wasn't somebody who was just going to sit quietly thinking, okay, I've had this miraculous healing and, and um, I'm just grateful for it and I'm just going to get on with life. It wasn't like that. It felt as if my mission was to share it, to tell people about it. 
And I did not realize that I was going to get that much pushback because it's almost as if there is a faction of people who will fight against anything that pushes against our current cancer paradigm. And that faction is extremely powerful. And they're so powerful that they will push against you, or in this case, me, to the point where they almost take the gift. They're willing, they would debunk me to the point where I feel, wow, they're almost trying to take the gift away from me because they want people to think I'm the one that's delusional and crazy, or I'm the one that's dangerous and so on and so forth. So I realized I had to go quietly, share the story, but do it in a way that's done quietly and only for those who are ready to hear. So it's been a very interesting journey. Yeah. How did you wrestle with that? Um, I'm sure that kind of took, you know, took, the wind out of your sails a bit after coming back with that in that state of euphoria to have and i know a lot of times when people are afraid of what they don't understand it can come across as you know resistance to it so how did you personally feel about that so um it was interesting so i sh i stopped sharing my story on the internet and i decided to quietly live my own life in the way i had learned which i did and so I began to watch my own life. I have to admit, I began to watch my own life thrive when I started to live it authentically in the way I had learned on the other side. I was just sad that I couldn't share it in a big way. Um, so if we talk about immediately after I was healed, even though I was completely healed, uh, and I started sharing it, when I would get all the pushback, it knocked the wind out of my sails it brought me down for a bit. I did go into a little bit of a depression. I did ask myself, why did I come back? Why? And then I thought, wait, I still know how to live. I still learned all the lessons for myself. Forget about teaching anyone. Forget about sharing it. People aren't ready to listen. How about if I just embody it? So that's the approach I took. And so I just decided to embody it. I stopped sharing it in a big way on the internet but it was already out there because I had already shared it and then I pulled myself back. But the story was already going viral and I didn't even know it was going viral. While I myself was now building up my own life, embodying what I'd learned. And everything I learned was that um, one of the biggest lessons I learned is that chronic illnesses such as cancer, particularly for me, um, and I am, and I was certain it was the case for many other people dealing with cancer, that cancer is not a medical problem. And again, I'm going to qualify this because I'm saying it publicly. For me, it was not a medical problem. It was a spiritual problem. And I know a lot of people will relate. So once I realized that it's a spiritual problem, not a medical problem, medicine um, or basically the medical paradigm, the medical model may be able to help me manage the symptoms. They may be, it may be, it's more palliative, it's more band-aid, but the issue is not a medical issue. The answers will not be found in medicine. It was a spiritual problem. It was a case of me not being and expressing who my soul came here to be. 
That's what I understood. And that was one of the biggest things I, I learned. And so I had to live by that principle. And as I lived by that principle, I saw my life change dramatically. So everything I did was according to that principle. And what are and, and the kinds of things I'm talking about is that I had to learn to love myself, which is something I had never done before. Um, when you realize that you are a spiritual being, that you are an expression of God, which is what I learned on the other side, you know, I had always been a people pleaser. I've always been non-confrontational. I've grown up in a culture with gender disparity where a woman's um, worth is only measured by how valuable she is to the men in her community. So I've never loved myself. I've always beaten myself up. And I learned when I was on the other side that while we're taught to see God in everybody else's eyes, I was never taught to see God in my own eyes. And so I started to realize that I am an expression of God. I am here for a purpose. My soul wants to express itself. And because I'd never allowed itself to do all that, I had repressed myself. The cancer wasn't there to kill me. The cancer was my own body trying to communicate with me. It was trying to save my life. It was trying to save my soul. Disease isn't trying to kill us. Disease is actually our souls trying to save ourselves. Um, wow. So that's a, that's an incredible insight for people who are listening to this right now. Um, so many people want to know, you know, you know, Anita, tell me how to do what you did. So, uh, and we can get to that a little bit. I'm sure you've, you've have some answers based on the, the years uh, since have, that have passed since then. Um, yeah. I just want to mention out loud to the audience. Um, so if you are unfamiliar with Anita, um, she has an amazing book called Dying to Be Me. And it's been out. Uh, when did it come out? It first came out in 2012, 2012. And then we just put out our 10th anniversary edition last year with additional content, bonus content that Excellent. I have since. Yeah, nothing has been taken away from the original edition, but stuff has been added to the new edition. Being diagnosed with a serious health challenge can be emotional and overwhelming. At Radical Remission, we believe no one needs to face a diagnosis alone. Our certified health coaches work one-on-one -on -one or in small groups to support people living with a diagnosis to integrate the 10 healing factors of radical remission. Our team of coaches include national board certified health coaches, doctors, nurses, and other medical practitioners, as well as mental health providers. Our coaches meet each person where they are on their healing journey to offer support, accountability, and goal setting in a positive manner. Check out RadicalRemission.com to find your health coach and connect with them to learn more about what it might look like to work together. See the show notes for links to find a coach on RadicalRemission.com. Looking for a thoughtful, heartfelt gift for someone with cancer? The Radical Remission Project has partnered with woman-led small business Rest and Heal to create lovely care packages for you to send. They feature the Radical Remission and Radical Hope books, alongside natural wellness products, all of which are non-toxic and sourced from women-owned, Black-owned, and New York State businesses. 
We know our community is passionate about spreading the radical remission healing factors, and these care packages are a great way to get knowledge into the hands of those who need it most. Visit restandheal.com forward slash shop to purchase or learn more. That's restandheal.com forward slash shop. Yeah, and what an incredible gift. I mean, to I know personally that uh, I have lost my sister to cancer in 2014, and your book was absolutely one of the things that gave me so much peace about what the other realm is like and oh. knowing that she was there i mean oh it's just oh. so emotional for me to be able to meet you and and come full circle with this experience with you but um yes thank you for choosing to come back oh, thank you thank <laughs> and, you uh really um very excited to introduce you to those who may not be familiar and and for those who are to to be able to hear you sharing it again it's oh. important information Thank you. Um, for me, it's been so important to share this information because, um, you know, when I did start to go silent about this information and just decided to embody it for myself, I took time to learn to love myself and to um, and to realize that the most important thing is for my soul to be who it came here to be. And and as I started to embody and live it, uh, it turned out that the world did want to hear my story. And unbeknownst to me, my story was going viral and Wayne Dyer discovered it. Mm. And it was Wayne Dyer who told Hay House that they have to track me down and get me to write my story in a book. And, and then Wayne actually said to the CEO of Hay House, he said, you track her down, get her to write the book, and I am going to single-handedly get it into the New York Times bestseller list. So mm. he recognized that the story needed to be out there, and I'm so grateful for him for doing that. Yeah, and that's a great lesson, too, because if we think about it, you know, you came back with all this information and you wanted to share it, and it and it, you know, as a human being, we want to do that immediately, right? We want to, you know, just share every, but the message was still able to to come out. And what a gift, um, truly what a gift to be able to um, really have it come eventually. You know, it's it's a good lesson in patience, right? And to be, what an honor for Wayne Dwyer to, Dyer to be right there to, to help you make this an incredible, really incredible book to, to gift to the world. So Anita, your healing continued after your NDE, right? So your near-death experience happened and then you continued to heal. Can you tell us just a little bit more? Did you do treatment after the NDE or did it truly clear up all by itself? So what happened is that um, the doctors wanted to continue to give me chemotherapy and I had said, I don't need the chemotherapy. However, they insisted they wanted to. So, so this is where it gets interesting. They found there was no trace of cancer in my body, but they still wanted to give me chemotherapy. And I didn't want to argue with them. So they said to me, this is to make sure that it doesn't come back. We can't explain how it disappeared, but cancer doesn't disappear like that. We have to take precautions. 
and continue to give you chemo. But they did every possible test. They did the bone marrow um, biopsy. They did the lymph node biopsy. Uh, they did the scans. They did every possible test and could find no trace of cancer. But they still insisted on giving me the chemotherapy. At that time, I didn't know better. If that happened, you know, with the knowledge I have now since then over the years, um, I would have fought back harder because every doctor and oncologist that has studied my medical records after the fact has said that was not necessary. They should not have done that. Every oncologist, every doctor who is a holistic oncologist, the type of people who I encounter now, because those were pure oncologists, they were very medical inclined oncologists, but the type of medical people that I work with encounter now are more holistic, even if they have an oncology background, every single one of them would say, I should not have accepted it and they should not have forced it on me. So that's basically what happened. How long did it take for for you to do a little bit of treatment afterwards for them to be satisfied? They did cut the treatment much shorter than they wanted to. So, but they did give me an extra uh, few rounds of treatment, which were completely unnecessary. So this is the thing with the timeline. When a doctor now, uh, a holistic oncologist looks at my medical record, they will see all the results, every result showing no trace of cancer, no trace of disease, no trace of disease, but the chemo is still being administered. And that's right. what they're saying. This is very wrong. This is very wrong. It really is just about, I hate to admit it, I don't want to throw medicine under the bus, but they're saying it is about the money. It is about the money. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It was an overtreatment situation. Overtreatment for the for the money, yes. And it was probably yeah. their fear too, because they didn't believe, they couldn't believe that it just magically disappeared. Like this, this can't happen, right? This has never happened before. So they just want to do what they would normally do. Yes, there was their fear. And it was also, of course, um, they want to do what is part of their protocol, the, the minimum that is their protocol. Otherwise, they're afraid that they could get sued for malpractice and all of, all of those things. So in other words, the actual situation of the patient is the last thing that's taken into account mm -hmm. in this case. It is more about the protocol and their fear, and they were projecting their fear onto me which is one of the things that I learned as well, is that um, a lot of the reasons that we do the treatments we do, a lot of the reasons that we follow a lot of the medical protocols that we do is from a place of fear, not from a place of health. Um, our entire um, medical mindset is based on fear and not based on a desire for well-being. It is based on a fear of illness, a fear of doing the wrong thing, a fear of being sued for malpractice, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's uh, definitely seems to be the way our culture has kind of progressed over time. And, yes. uh, you know, it is unfortunate that um, that is the case at the moment. And we hope that messages like yours will help make some impact on change, you know, might take a lifetime or a generation or two, but <laughs> Uh, wouldn't it be beautiful if if we could 
you know, from your perspective, even looking at disease as a, a spiritual imbalance that needs to be kind of evened out. And, um, you know, really, that's, that's a gift for our listeners to hear that and know in their hearts that that is um, something that you have can, you've supplied evidence that that is actually um, is true and real. So thank you yeah. for that. Thank you. That's my intention. And I also want to assure um, the viewers and listeners that if you are on chemotherapy, don't fear it. I had chemotherapy. It didn't kill or destroy me. Don't fear it. Um, really, it is about knowing that what you're doing is going to work for you. And it's about going on a journey of self-discovery. Whatever modality you choose, whether it's holistic, whether it's Ayurveda, whether it's traditional Chinese medicine, and whether it's conventional, whether it's a combination, the most important thing is while you're doing those things um, is that you actually go on a journey of self-love and your soul's purpose and, and discover who you are. Why have you come here? What is your purpose? Are you following your purpose? What is your body trying to tell you? What is your dis-ease trying to tell you? Learn to love yourself. That is actually the most important thing. And that is what helps those modalities to work even better, no matter which modality. And this is why I say I was trying all those different modalities and they didn't seem to work. The reason is because I came at it from a place of fear, not as from a place of love. We tend to... Um, we we tend to go at our bodies like looking for disease from a place of search and destroy, but we're supposed to love our bodies and see the miracle that they are and, you know, and caress and, and care for our bodies. But we haven't been taught that. We've been taught to fear our bodies. That really resonates for me, Anita, because as a cancer thriver myself with metastatic breast cancer, I have always used the love my cells back to health sort of um, thought, you know, that mindset to help me. And I think it's, it's so important. I'm curious in the, so it's been what, 17 years. Yes. How have you continued to live this authentic life and to really be true to what you learned when you had the NDE? So I'll admit it hasn't been easy <laughs> because the issues that are presented to us in this world um, are are very can be um, you know that can be very strong. They can be persistent. Let's say this world, because when I was in that near death state, it felt as though I could see through the illusion, and it felt as though we have been shaped by fear. Everything in our lives. Uh, has been uh, like the the way we behave, the way we are, what we choose to do, not do, the way we live, all of it has been shaped by fear and not by love. And I saw through that when I was on the other side. I saw how I had to, that in order to create heaven on earth, I had to make my choices from a place of love and not fear. And I had to take this ability to see through the fear I had to take this ability with me here into the physical. But this world that we live in, 
the fear that they bombard you with, you know, mainstream media, education, the medical system, all of it, um, the fear they bombard you with is very persistent. And even if you don't buy into it, um, other people do. And I can't help but feel their energies and feel their fear. So the fear is persistent. And I keep telling people the reason why this fear is so persistent is because fear sells. So don't buy it. Please don't buy it. Because when from the time we're in school, in, in the education system, we are taught that there isn't enough to go around. So you have to be competitive. You have to compete with your fellow students, your peers, in order to get ahead so that you get into the better colleges and so on. Um, when you go out to work, you believe that there aren't enough jobs to go around, and so you compete with everyone. And also, our healthcare system is all about fearing illness as opposed to embracing health, as we already said. Um, we are so every system is based on fear. And when in actuality, what I learned on the other side is that pure consciousness is love. It's love. Our basis is love. Who we are at our core is love. And so when we are literally battling this sea of fear that's that we're being bombarded with, it's like we're swimming against our natural innate ability, our natural current. We're swimming against who we are. We're swimming against nature. We're swimming against consciousness. But if all of us recognize that who we are is love and that there is, and if we get in touch with it, we will realize that we, if we honored who our soul is, there is enough to go around and health is abundant when we allow ourselves to be who we are. And when all of us are flowing with consciousness as opposed to against consciousness, we can do so much more and be so much more. So what does it mean to flow with consciousness as opposed to against consciousness? What it means is, you see, consciousness flows towards growth. It flows towards health, towards healing. Um, it flows towards flowering. When something flowers, it's filled with consciousness. When something is healing, it's filled with consciousness. When something is growing, it's filled with consciousness. We, though, are being conditioned to push against it. And that's why we have this battle. And that's why people get so tired and weary and sick. And so when you realize this truth that, oh, I need to flow with consciousness, um, you think, okay, I've got the formula, I can do it. But you've got all these people around you who push against you. So that's the thing that we're dealing with all the time. Yeah, yeah, it makes so much sense to me. I really do um, agree with that. And such great nuggets of information to um to digest so i'm i'm really glad i'm going to i'm going to have to listen to this episode myself a couple times to reap all the benefits um and one thing i do want to ask because it's always good for us to remind our audience about the 10 healing factors the radical remission healing factors and i know that you know some of them may have played differently in your story but i'm going to mention them now um just list them out so that our audience can hear them as well uh so the 10 healing factors from the research that all 
um, of the research, uh, all the survivors that were researched utilized include uh, diet, taking herbs and supplements, exercise and movement, increasing positive emotions, releasing suppressed emotions, embracing social support, finding strong reasons for living, adopting a spiritual practice of some sort, following your intuition, and empowerment. Is there any one of these that you would say kind of, I mean, I think maybe spirituality, aside from the spirituality aspect, because we've we've talked about that, um, any of these other factors that you say played a big role in your healing? Yes, definitely. Definitely empowerment, for sure. You mm. have to feel that you uh, you have to you do have to feel worthy and deserving to be empowered um community for sure you need people who are who um who are on the same wavelength as you who understand you who get you but yes. i think empowerment would be a big one for me um because feeling disempowered uh, plays a big part in your health the other one that's huge also is a reason for living because even for me, getting in touch with my soul and having a mission and a reason is a huge, uh, the more reason you have for living, the healthier you are. And diet and exercise as well. I do take care of what I eat and I do try and move every single day. That's great to hear. I really do appreciate that. Um, and empowerment. I mean, really hearing your your story, even reading your book, you know, that is tr so true. It's such a huge part of your lessons that you've learned. And I love that you've shared it so um, vulnerably so that the world, you know, it's really easy to resonate with. And I'm, I'm sure there's so many people out there that have learned from your experience, how to find their voice and how important it is to find your voice. So Thank you. Yes, it is really important. Um, thank you. And I, I, I speak about that, about finding your voice um, a lot more these days, uh, you know, uh, because the, the one thing I've noticed is that a lot of people who are attracted to my work, I've noticed that they happen to be incredibly sensitive. You know, they, a lot of them are empaths. And those are the ones that really need to be encouraged to find their voice. And we need more empaths with louder voices in this world. I agree. Yeah. And, and they need to identify that their sensitivity um, and their intuition and their, um, and their empathy is a strength and a gift to the world, whereas most of them see it as a weakness, but it's actually a strength. And so I've been speaking out a lot about that because I believe that a lot of sensitive people who see themselves as being weak and vulnerable and they repress themselves and they hide and they become invisible, they're the ones that tend to manifest illness. Thank you, Anita. This has been so fabulous and you've had some great advice for people. And um, if is there anything else that, that you would like to share or you want to just tell people where they can find you for more inspiration and wisdom? Sure. So first of all, before that, I, I do, there is one thing I want to share. I want people to spend their lives and their time finding joy as opposed to focusing on, um, on their illness. So what's happened is that when people have dealt with an illness, 
and even while you're going through the illness, our focus, our entire focus and our brain and our mind seems to be focused on the illness. What I would like to invite people to do is I would like you to shift your focus and know that the illness <clears throat> has a deeper meaning and in order or a deeper uh, cause. And in order to get to that cause, find things that you're passionate about, find reasons to live, find your purpose, find your mission, um, find joy in life, eat chocolate if you have to, just get out of that state of constantly focusing on what's wrong with you and what's wrong with your physical body. Get out of that micro focus on that. Even if you're going for treatments, go for your treatments. Even if you're dealing with going in and out of hospitals, do that, but don't make that the focal point of your day or your life. Keep focusing on your dreams, your visions, your goals, your um, your ideas, and that that's what I would want people to know. Make that the bigger part of you, not the illness. Um, so where you can find out more about me is, of course, my website is anitamorjani.com. And I'm on social media. I'd love for you to find me on Facebook, Instagram, um, YouTube. I have a lot of videos on YouTube where I speak about, I give a lot of tips on uh, how to find healing, how to find joy, and so on. I would love for you to find my videos on YouTube. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Anita. Anita, can you share what the name is of your YouTube channel? Sure. It's uh, Anita Morjani Official YouTube. Channel. Perfect. And we will include all of this in the show notes for our listeners. And I love just to kind of recap what you just said. Um, something you said made me think of the term you were saying that, you know, what don't think about what's wrong with you. And I love flipping that to, you know, think about what's right with you. And you've so perfectly encaptured that in, in everything that you've shared and, and what a beautiful um story that we have for our audience. I'm so glad that you were able to join us today and and to give all of these words of wisdom. There's so much to be gained. And, and I hope everyone listens to this and then heads over to your YouTube channel to listen even more to, to hear your, your stories. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And thank you for listening to the Radical Remission Project stories that heal podcast once again i'm kelly a turner phd cancer researcher and founder of the radical remission project if you found today's episode inspiring we encourage you to share it with anyone you think would benefit if you'd like more information about the radical remission project or would like some support bringing the 10 radical remission healing factors into your own life visit us at radicalremission.com to find a certified radical remission health coach or to learn about an upcoming Radical Remission workshop. And if you'd like to connect with Liz or Carla directly for health coaching, you can visit radicalremission.com forward slash about us. Most importantly, be sure to like, share, and please, please, please review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Your reviews are what allow us to keep finding sponsors and sponsors are what allow us to keep bringing you these podcasts. So thank you in advance for your reviews. One last thing, would you like to be on our podcast? 
If you're a radical remission survivor who's been in remission for at least three years, meaning that you either have stable or dormant disease, or perhaps even no evidence of disease, you can contact us at radicalremission.com forward slash podcast. The Stories That Heal podcast is a production of the Radical Remission Project and CAP Productions, hosted by Liz Curran and Carla Manz Giroux, produced by Ryan Giroux, music by Batchbug. Follow the stories that heal wherever you get your podcasts.